This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Thursday, February 22nd edition. It's Washington's actual birthday, by the way. Welcome to uh, to Talkback, brought to you this morning by Y West Storage. Located at the Y, it's 7099, Two Smokes Way. Uh, for pricing and availability, here's the number, 406-510-0590. Phillips Janitorial, offering a residential and commercial cleaning, and no job is too big or small for Phillips. Here's their number. It's 406, obviously, 260-6617. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get, Gomer's has just what you need to make sure your rig starts every time. Located at Palmer and West Broadway. And my Harrington Surgical Supply, where appointments are preferred for mastectomy fittings and custom compressions, but walk-ins are always welcome. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, welcome, welcome. Once again, everyone, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen right over there, taking your phone calls and producing TalkBack. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Got the Longhorns, Hook'em Horns uh, sweatshirt on today. Yeah. All right. And uh, joining us in the, in the studio this morning, we have our friend Bob Seidenschwartz, the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio, and a very distinguished guest here today. Uh, Nicholas uh, Casey is joining us here this morning. So if you wouldn't mind introducing Nicholas. Yes, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, I do have a little bit of a bio here. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Uh, no, Peter, Pete, go ahead. Here we go. Previously, Mr. This is right out of the New York Times. So you should I love how the Times always refers to Mr. and Ms. or Mrs. You still have that. It's like I, it's a very courteous it's place. very formal. Previously, Mr. Casey worked at the Wall Street Journal from 2007 to 2015, starting as a retail reporter in Los Angeles before moving to Mexico City, where he wrote about the conflict with drug cartels. He then led the paper's coverage of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which included the last Gaza war, Mr. Casey's reporting also has won the New York Press Club Award, the Clarion Award, honorable mention for the Society of Publishers in Asia, and was named as a finalist for the Livingston Award. So, welcome to our studio. It's good Thanks. to have you. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, Go ahead, I'd Bob. also uh, like to uh, mention that we had his uh, very talented, significant other here in the studio yesterday, yes. Peter, and did get to view the film last night, and um, an amazing piece of work. So, it's... Uh, we're just blessed. We have people like this that come here in Missoula. The film festival has just been a very great success. And uh, now we get to talk to uh, Nicholas here. So, Nick, we have a, a, sh- a short hour, I call it, because it goes so quick. Um, I talked to you a little bit about, you know, we, in the news, Alexei um, you know, was, for all indications, murdered. That's how it appears. I mean, going back, looking at this, and it started me thinking about, we read these articles that people like you write. We see across the globe the work that goes into journalists. And I ask you to help us understand a little bit about that profession and people, your peers. What do you do in terms of how do you reconcile the vast amount of areas that you go to, the conflicts, the emotional components of it. I mean, we read an article, but do we really understand the person behind who wrote that article? And I start thinking about this going, you know, all right, he passes. Somebody else, got another journalist gets killed on the front. I mean, in the Ukrainian war, mm-hmm. there's been, I mean, literally dozens, I believe, of journalists who have been killed in this conflict. So the work that you do to bring the rest of us information 
to report, to reveal, to uncover mm-hmm. is so significant to me. Yeah. But I don't know if we really have the complete kind of appreciation and understanding for what that means for an open society. Sure. So share a little bit of that. And I know I've given you a big broad, <laughs> as I tend to do. Yeah. But it, it's something that we have this rare opportunity to have you. Tell yeah. you what. Tell you what. I, You're going to take a I, break I, already? I told you this would happen. Yeah. I told you this would happen. We're right up against our first break. Okay. I, I do not want to, want to miss a minute of what you want to share with us. So we're going to come right back. By the way, the phone lines are open if you want to like to visit with, with Nicholas Casey. Of course, Bob Seiden Schwartz here in the studio as well. We'll be right back with our number 721-1290 or 1-800-568-530. And I'm back with more right after this. We've all got that. Dennis Bragg with your updated forecast in the Town Square Weather Center. A chance of showers again Thursday morning mixed with fog that could create some slight conditions. Then clearing off later in the day with a sunny afternoon and highs into the mid-40s. Fog could be a problem again Thursday night into Friday morning with lows in the mid-20s. But more sun in the afternoon continuing into Saturday with highs reaching in the mid and upper 40s. More rain showers likely Sunday, although even then there remains some partly sunny weather in the outlook. Okay, welcome back to Talkback. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen is here as well, producing Talkback. Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio. And Nicholas Casey, a staff writer with the New York Times. Uh, we had an opportunity yeah, to just yeah, kind yeah. of... Prime and the and, pump I, and a I talk bit. too much. I know that. But my, <laughs> yeah, my, I better start talking. Yeah, yeah my uh, brain is cleared. <laughs> yeah. You guys are the gatekeepers. Okay, that's what I should have said. Uh, I and know, looking I like through the, that prison, the, the gatekeeper. But yeah, um, but but you would ask how I just became a journalist and yeah. what I, what I do. I mean, I think that's a that's an important question because when you read articles in the New York Times or in any newspaper, you, you just see you know the thing that someone's written, but you don't see anything about who they are, right? Um, and how this came to be. So I started in journalism uh, right after college. This was about 2006. And I remember that one of the first books I read about journalism was by uh, a New York Times journalist who's still there, Thomas Friedman. Uh, it's from Beirut to Jerusalem. We've heard the, about Mr. Friedman. The, yeah, it was, yeah. Was, was Friedman's book that he wrote in, in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, I forget which, after he had been posted in the Middle East. And he had one, I think, the greatest descriptions of what it was like to be a journalist, which was that he said when he was covering Yasser Arafat and the PLO and the Israelis, it was like you were watching a play take place on a stage. But unlike everybody else in the audience, you were actually able to go walk up onto that stage as it was taking place and interview the actors. Mm -hmm. And I was always fascinated by that description. That was something that I wanted to do and be a part of, too. Um, so when you ask, like, well, what is it like to be a journalist? What are you doing uh, on a day-to-day basis? That is kind of the fascinating thing that journalists get to do is they, they get to go up onto that stage and and just talk to, to everybody and try to understand what's going on. You're paid week after week to do nothing but that. And it's it's a real big blessing to be able to do it that way. I would, I would imagine a lot of it has to do with curiosity. Uh, you have to be, you have to just want to know everything about everything, uh, when, when you, uh, become a journalist and, and, and then, and then you approach these people with questions and, and they answer your questions, which, which leads to more questions and, and more people get to find out exactly what's going on in that person's head. That's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's basically the basic recipe. Um, and, you know, you have a lot of curiosity as a journalist, but it, it's just the, the fundamental nature of being human is to be curious about these things. Why do people read these newspapers? It's because they're curious, too. So that's the same thing that drives me 
as a reporter, it's it's my own curiosity. It's the same reason why I pick up newspapers myself every day and right. read them. I started out as a reader. That's how I got into this. I liked reading newspapers. Right. So I, I wanted right. I wanted to actually be there myself, be the guy who was who was writing the story. And and you came uniquely prepared for the world of journalism because you had a background in anthropology. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I say. So how do we get the anthropologists at the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times? Yeah, yeah. Tell that story. You yeah, might well, say he's digging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't think about it this way, but um, I'm, you know, spent all my adult life as as a journalist. So um, people ask, well, why didn't you study journalism? In college, it's like, well, you know, if I was going to do that job for 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 the rest of my adult years, practically, uh, it was nice to actually have four years where I was doing something different, mm-hmm. and that was that was anthropology for me. Um, and I, I had an interest in in the social sciences. I was interested in psychology, and I was interested in history. And uh, finally, kind of in my sort of last years, I think second to last year at Stanford, that's when I finally became an anthropology major because they said you have to pick a major now. You can't sure. just keep bouncing between different things. But in some ways, that was a uh, foreshadowing of the fact that I was going to become a journalist because it's a very similar job. You're constantly jumping between different things. You can't make up your mind of what you want to do when you grow up because you've been, you know, there's so many opportunities. I started out as a business reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Then I went to Mexico and I covered the drug cartels there for about five years. Mm-hmm. After that, when the Arab Spring started, I went out there. My first trip was to Bahrain when they were trying to overthrow the government and I was in Egypt for a while. And then later I came to move to, to Israel and lived there during the last Gaza war. Uh, after that, I went back to Latin America and covered Venezuela, which became a dictatorship right. under Nicolas Maduro. And then after that, the Times had an idea that I might be a great American political correspondent. So for a year, I was in in 2020 in the United States covering the Biden-Trump election that was going on. So, uh, yeah, it, it's been many, many different things. There's never there's never a dull moment in this. And one of the great things about journalism is once you get to that point that you're starting to get bored, you get to completely try to reinvent yourself all over again. Right. Now I work for the Sunday Magazine or the New York Times writing long-form stories. It's very different from the sort of journalism I was doing previously. I, I, tell us, when you say long-form stories, yeah. what what does that actually mean to us as the lay people? These are stories that are going to take quite a long time to read, I'll sure. tell you that, but you'll, you'll also come out of them, uh, mm-hmm. kind of maybe seeing the world, I hope, a little bit differently. So uh, these are stories that, unlike what you'd see on the, the front page of the Times, which might take you maybe five or six minutes to read an article. This is something that might take you 15 or, or 20 minutes. And for me, it will take maybe several months as opposed to like a week or a couple days to report the story. Um, so yeah, those are those are the differences. This is the kind of story that you would see in, you know, in this case, like the Sunday Magazine, the Times, but you know the length that you would see in the New Yorker or the Atlantic or, or one of the, the magazines that you might see like on a newsstand. So yeah. So uh, let's, uh, uh, let's talk about something that has long been... Um, of great interest to me, I, I look at the world of journalism and what you do huh. as the ultimate responsibility because of, one, the ability to reach millions of people, the influence that it may have, the direction that it can skew positively or negatively, different issues. So from a personal responsibility standpoint, what are some of the challenges when you're covering these stories in different parts of the world, um, they're significant. How, how do you deal with that? How do you reconcile that just within your own life? Yeah. 
I mean, one of the big issues I had when I was in Latin America uh, was I was one of the few foreign correspondents who was working in Colombia, for example. That was a place that I had lived in for several years. And you're asking about the responsibility of, of doing this job. Um, there were times where I knew that if I didn't cover a story, no one else might be there to do that. Mm-hmm. There's a huge responsibility that comes with working for a place like the New York Times because it fortunately has the resources that a lot of newspapers don't, especially newspapers in Latin America. So you realize a lot of the onus falls on to you. And, you know, as a personal responsibility, right. it just means that you're going a lot more of the day and just pushing yourself a lot more. Uh, if you know, you might be the only one that, 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 that goes to that place right. uh, and writes about it. So, yeah. So we're just getting started. Yes, we're going to go to a break right now. When we yeah. come back, uh, I've got my list of 1,322 <laughs> questions for okay. you. Yeah, we've got yeah. two yeah. of them done so far. Yeah, we're, we're, we, so, yeah. we, so we get to ask you questions. That's right. Yeah. We're, we're questions go, for us. Right. right. We're, we're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. We'd love to have some questions and comments from you, uh, our listeners here on uh, Talk Back. Again, that number is 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. Or you can use the KGVO app and uh, send it that way. We'll be right back in the studio with all right crew let's get her dug honey you want to give me a hand i'm planting that tree remember no matter how large or small your digging project may be no matter how urban or rural you must always call 811 before any digging project 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this... Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Hi, I'm E.J. Williams. Each year, millions of animals are abandoned, and more than a million are euthanized before they can be rescued. Organizations like American Humane are working to harness the healing power of the human-animal bond, as animals can be trained as life-saving service and therapy dogs to help veterans, the elderly, and children with special needs to overcome the obstacles of everyday life. To find out how you can help give animals and the people they help a new leash on life, please visit AmericanHumane.org. We are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. I'd love to get some phone calls this morning for Nicholas Casey, staff writer with the New York Times, joining us here in the studio. Of course, uh, all uh, kind of centered around the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, which uh, debuted yesterday. And so, Bob, you had some, some more questions for, for Nick. Yeah, you know, when we're, we're, you're in places like Venezuela, Colombia. For our listeners, mm-hmm. um, Venezuela failed both political and economic system. Mm-hmm. Colombia, you know, who hasn't heard of Pablo Escobar? And you mentioned the drug cartels in Mexico, El Chapo, and the endless, you know, horrors and stories that come out of these countries. You, you're in a place where you're also at risk, too. You're, mm-hmm. you're writing stories of which it's, it's a kaleidoscope of moving parts here of people, all working within the realm of what they may be doing in terms of drug interdiction, the political component, the economics. So how do you order that in your own head yeah. and work on a day-to-day basis? Because this is – it's not like getting up and going, ah, oh, i got to show up. Yeah. You know, uh, this is big. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you, you point out that there are a lot of risks in the work that journalists do. Right. And, uh, you know, that's absolutely true. I mean, the, the, the work that I do, I have to go out in the field. Uh, I'm not reading books about these places. Mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to go meet the people. Right. And just as the readers have got to trust what I write when I write it, um, I've also got to be able to trust the people that I'm going to meet or going to see. And I remember in Colombia, like one of these these groups that I went to see was the the FARC, which are the, 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 the yeah describe yeah, the FARC you, the, for our the listeners. FARC, the FARC, if 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 listeners out there can kind of picture uh, Marxist rebels uh, in the mountains of Colombia, uh, that's that's them. They're kind of like a they were a prototypical group uh, of uh, Colombian rebels. Uh, they they don't exist anymore as a rebel group, but in the years that I was there, they did, um, and they were still fighting the government. And uh, this was at a time where they were going to sign a peace treaty with the government to end basically decades of war, which mm-hmm. had ended in, in thousands of people that had, had been killed, hundreds of thousands of people that had been killed. And um, we decided that uh, at the time, this would be a good moment to write about who they were because right. people had been sort of seeing them from the shadows. So uh, through a photographer that I knew that had taken lots of pictures of them over the years, I made contact with the group and we set up a meeting for essentially me and the photographer to hand ourselves over to them and to spend a week with them, just documenting their lives. And that required a, a lot of trust. This was a group that had kidnapped many people, including journalists. That's before. how they made a lot of their money in their early stages. They yeah. trafficked drugs. Right. They were on the terrorism list of mm-hmm. the United States. Um, and yet we saw this story as something important enough that we were willing to take the risk of, of going to go meet them and live with them for a period of time. Were you able to establish some ground rules? Yes. I mean, they, we understood that uh, because they were interested in signing a peace deal with the government, this is the whole point of them trying to meet media at this point. We didn't have the risk of being kidnapped. That would be kind of the, the biggest disaster for them. There was a lot riding on the line. Right. So that was the most basic ground rule, that this was actually going to be an interview and this wasn't a ruse for something else. Um, beyond that, though, um, our rule is that there are no ground rules. Anything that we see at the Times, anything that we document, anything that comes up in an interview, that is always fair game to, to write because our, uh, you know, our, our promise is to readers. Like we're not interested in serving the interests of the people that we cover. We're interested in serving the interests of those curious people that are reading the New York Times that want to see. So we, they understood anything that we see, anything that you do, anything that goes on during this visit, it's going to be in the story. And they, they were not allowed to read the story before it came out. Last time we saw them was when uh, we'd gone out on our, our mules and horses and they took us out of the jungle and they, they left us at an area where we were going to go, um, you know, find a, a, a taxi back to this airstrip that we were going to catch a plane yeah. to, to get back home from. So, um, yeah, yeah, ground rules a bit, but, but, but not, not too many. Did they read your article? Yeah, they did. All I mean, it, some of them read the article kind of years after they got out of the jungle <laughs> and finally signed, signed the deal. Some of them became mm-hmm. politicians. And uh, I remember talking to one of the men who was in kind of one of the large photos that ran with the story uh, several years uh, after it had come out. Uh, he'd gotten my number from from the photographer that we'd been working mm. with, and he just wanted to catch up. He'd he'd, he'd stopped being a, a guerrilla fighter. He was trying to run a small business. Uh, you telling me he was a capitalist? Uh, I know. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's like every, <laughs> After all, every communist they eventually for... goes <laughs> to the to the next stage. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was that was part of. Um, Part of signing this peace deal um, with that group meant that their fighters weren't going to go to jail, mm-hmm. but that they were going to join society. They were going to get rid of their uniforms, and they were going to just try to become ordinary citizens in Colombia. 
And that didn't work out completely as planned. None of these peace deals ever do. But for a lot of people, it did really change their life. Um, they actually got to be members of an ordinary society. Mm-hmm. And for Colombians, that's just one less rebel group that they have to worry about right. now. How and, did your How did your words uh, help affect the change? Uh, or, or were you interested in affecting change? You just wanted to report what you saw and heard. You know, I think that writing about them... One of the things, I've, I've covered a lot of conflicts, and I think what happens in the dynamic of a war really fast is that you see the other side, your enemy, as, as less than human. It, it happens. I mean, this is the goal of politicians yeah. trying to win the war, right. is to make the other side not look like people. And I think one of the things that this this project I did with Federico, the photographer, helped in being able to see those photos of these people, being able to hear their voices, you realize that a lot of the people that went to go join these rebels were actually just kids who were 16, 17, 18. Right. They ran away from right. their families, and they got a gun from this group. And that was the beginning, or, or, or kids that were, were hungry somewhere in a village, and this rebel group had food. So that's the reason why they had joined. It's that sorts of things that you don't see when you're listening to war rhetoric, that you do when you know the, the narrative of the war is being written by someone that's not, not a party to the war, that's written by a journalist. One of the reasons why we're glad you're here. Thanks. All right, we're going to come right back. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. Phone lines are open. If you know, this is a fascinating conversation we're having right now. Hope you're you're enjoying it. Nicholas Casey is here in the studio, staff writer with the New York Times, uh, world traveler, and has uh, reported on stories quite literally all over the world. Uh, and of course, a Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, all right. associated with his visit here. So we're going to come right back with more of Talk Back right after this. I love that. Dennis Bragg with your updated forecast in the Town Square Weather Center. A chance of showers again Thursday morning. Makes with fog that could create some slight conditions, then clearing off later in the day with a sunny afternoon and highs into the mid-40s. Fog could be a problem again Thursday night into Friday morning with lows in the mid-20s, but more sun in the afternoon continuing into Saturday with highs reaching in the mid and upper 40s. More rain showers likely Sunday, although even then there remains some partly sunny weather in the outlook. We are back on Talkback, 721-1290. That's our number, 1-800-568-5309. Peter Christian here, Nick Christians and producing Talkback here in the studio. Bob Seidenschwartz and Nicholas Casey, staff writer with the New York Times. We have a caller on the line right now, and this is Dave. Dave, good morning. You're on with Nicholas Casey. Go ahead, please. Yes, good morning. You know, I'm a um, student of history, and I'm really cons- interested in hearing both sides of the issues and because you're writing the history books right now, you, you it is up to you to report the the issues and and preferably not judgments on mm. which side is the good guys or what is the bad guys. Mm. But I am curious if if you're able to do that, like say on the Palestinian Israeli issues and, and some of the others. And um, do you have a problem with being able to do that? Okay, thanks, Dave. Thanks for the call. This is. Uh... Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and the old uh, saw that people tell about journalism is that it's the first draft of history. And that's exactly what it is because it, it's a draft. I mean, this is uh, not the kind of history that you read in the history books, which has been poured over uh, for years with documents. This is often uh, a kind of history that's being written in the moment, um, sometimes over the course of just like a couple of hours. Um, and for conflicts like uh, the, the the latest war in in Israel and, and, and Gaza, this is you know incredibly important right now because this is the only place that people are getting any reliable news from. Uh, you asked, was I comfortable in writing about this? Yeah, I actually lived um, in Israel for two years, and during the last war in Gaza, which was in two thousand and fourteen. 
Uh, I was there. Uh, I was there for a month, which was almost the duration of the entire war, which was which was different from uh, what this current war has been in Gaza, where the borders were sealed off from the very beginning, and you couldn't see what was what was going on inside. And again, like going back to this um, idea, which I think is is what journalists are able to do when it comes to the history books, is being able to make both sides of a war appear human because they are. Um, that I think was the value of all of the foreign reporters' presence in in Gaza when they were there, because one of the things that you could see in this war was not just that there were um, fanatics in in Gaza, which there certainly were, in the form of Hamas uh, that was firing rockets at Israel and launching attacks, but those people were completely outnumbered by just ordinary men and women um, and a lot of children. Uh, a lot of Gaza is under the age of eighteen. And these were the true victims of the war. These were families, um, you know, very large families at times who house, houses were getting bombed in 2014. Um, these were schools, uh, kids. All of these things fall out of the narrative that governments are trying to say that they're, they're trying to get the bad guys. You talked about the bad guys and the good guys. I, I think one of the things that I've seen when I, I cover wars is that both sides think that they're doing the right thing. Both sides are convinced that they are the good guys. Um, and if there was a situation where uh, one side just openly said, well, we're the villains, uh, that would that would be a very straightforward war to write about. But I, I've, I've never seen that yet. Um, and even in, in a situation uh, like Gaza that we're, we're seeing now, which began with this uh, really horrific attack, um, you, you see that within Gaza, that the people who are now getting attacked, the people who are now the majority of the victims at this point, 30,000 uh, Gazans who, who have died uh, largely in these these airstrikes from Israel, these are people. Um, these are people like our own families. And I, I think that the thing that I can try to add to this picture in terms of writing the history of this is, is to write the history of, of, of these families and to get people who, who read this stuff uh, to understand that you know it, it could have been their relatives who were on the other end of that bomb if if circumstances if if they had played out differently, we have a, we have another caller on the line wanting to visit with you. It's Harry. Harry, good morning. You're on with Nicholas Casey. Go ahead, please. Yeah, good morning, Nicholas. Uh, not so much a question, but just a comment. Uh, yeah. You know, I always hear people. You know, they always want to thank veterans for their service, but I think that uh, you know reporters, especially field reporters, are doing a service to the mankind that they they don't get the recognition that they deserve. They they're putting their lives out there on the line. They're and they're not carrying a gun. They're not you know all they carry is a recorder or a, a camera. And it's you know to get the truth out, to get the facts out. And they, you know all, and all they receive is a, you know uh, their name on the you know byline or whatever. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's amazing that what they, they do just to get us to know what is happening. And I just don't think they get the recognition they deserve. Well, thank you for that. I, I really, Thanks, sir. really appreciate that. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there are people that are thinking that way. I, I think especially what you said of the fact that we don't carry weapons, I, I think is really key. Um, the work that uh, my colleagues do in, in going into war zones, but not being armed people there, um, I think is just a really important job. And I think one of the most important parts to, to kind of understand right now is what threat journalists have, have gone through in the last years. Uh, last year, there was a record number of journalists who were killed, and that was mainly because these were journalists in Gaza 
um, Gazan journalists, Palestinian journalists who were trying to cover the conflict. Um, I came from Mexico years before where drug cartels were picking off many local journalists. I, I wrote about a case of this uh, late last year. It was a newsroom of just four people that were trying to stand up to the local crime bosses and a corrupt state house. Um, and what happened was that they received threats and then two of the four journalists were killed and they had to shut that newspaper down. Um, because the rest of the survivors were just too scared to continue on. And, and this is the consequence of, of a lot of these attacks that you see against the media. A lot of people have had to give up for their own safety. And uh, I think now more than ever is really a time that journalists have to, and, and the public also has to stand up uh, for the journalists themselves to make sure that not only the journalists can get their, their work done, but also that the public, which has the right to this information, can can read it and can know what's actually going on. You bet. We're, we're going to take a break. We uh, The phone lines are open. Once again, if you have a, a question or a comment for Nicholas Casey, he's here in the studio along with Bob Seidenschwartz, staff writer with the New York Times. Fascinating stories and uh, storytelling right now, in fact. But it's the truth, and we appreciate him being here today. We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. We'd love to have you call in. We'll be back right after this. Don't take your... And we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. I think we do have another caller on the line, and uh, somebody's calling in right now anyway. Let, let's continue. You were about to share something uh, you know, with you, Nicholas. Go ahead. You're human. You are in the middle of horrific conflicts. I'd asked you the question during the break, how do you maintain yourself, your, your, your own mental balance and integrity, and what kind of conversations do you have you know, when you have these darker moments and when you get together with your colleagues. I mean, at some point, as it's often said, you need to choose a side. And yet you have a job to report. So where does that line sometimes get crossed? And what are the challenges that you've just had to face How do you put in yourself, your own personal situation? How do you put yourself on the outside yeah. looking in? Yeah, I mean... Um, uh, yeah, a lot of people ask me this question. It's a really good question. You're seeing um, sometimes some horrific things going on in the world. And how, how do you just go back home at the end of the day? The truth is, I mean, there's a lot of professions that you have to do this. I mean, um, I don't work in an emergency room uh, right. as a doctor. And yet uh, there are people who are seeing much more horrific things. Uh, just in an emergency room in an ordinary city that are going through um, their space than, than what I do even in a war. I've always been surprised when I work at hospitals, just what like incredibly intense places they are to see what's going on. So you ask the doctor, are you getting overwhelmed by what you're seeing? And the doctor's going to tell you probably that they, they are, but that they've learned over the years to be able to compensate for that, just to be able to understand that, that you know this is part of the job. And I think this is what journalists also have to do, is just to learn to basically become doctors of, of, of information instead of, of patients. And it, it takes years to be able to kind of get that sort of composure. I don't always have it myself, um, but that's something that you've got to try to aim for, to try to sort of strive to. I think an advantage you might have, though, uh, is somewhat cathartic in that you're able to take your feelings and express them uh, uh, on paper and so that everyone can read them and share your thoughts. And I mean, that, that, that has got to be a huge advantage over someone who's bound by confidentiality like doctors are. I think, yeah. I, I think when you talk about issues like trauma in, in, in war zones, one of the issues that's come up often when I've talked to victims uh, of these wars is that they didn't feel like they had any agency. They didn't feel like they could do anything about what was going on. And one of the advantages I think that journalists do have is that while they aren't combatants in a war, they are playing a role. So at the end of the day, they're going to write about what they just saw. They're not 
keeping it in themselves. They're not kind of holding it there and letting it smolder. Um, and that they're also able to like be a, a participant there and, and knowing that they're playing a role in getting information to people about what's going right. on. That's, I think, something that allows journalists to leave war zones with, with less with less scrapes and scars, I think, than, than a lot of people. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not without its own risks in that front. But yeah, I think that's definitely an advantage uh, right. that journalists have. Let's get another caller on the line. This is Tom. Tom, good morning. You're on with Nicholas Casey. Go ahead, please. Yeah, good morning. Uh, thanks for uh, being there. Um, you know, I uh, often wonder, you know, when I'm reading an article by somebody, I, uh, you know, what they're, where they're coming from, uh, you know, uh, who they, do they go to church on Sunday? Do they, uh, yep. who do they uh, support politically? Mm, uh, yep. You know, these are questions, you know, I would never really ask you, you know, to answer. But uh, when was the last time the New York Times sent a staff writer out to write a uh, a positive article, uh, let's say, around the, uh, the pro-life movement or a positive article about uh people that own guns, you know, just uh, when was the last time the New York Times sent a staff writer out to write a, a positive article about conservatives? Uh, when was the last time they maybe had a positive article about Donald Trump? Uh, so, you know, this is, okay. I just like to know where my reporters coming from when I read their articles. So thanks for being there. Of course, uh, you yeah, know, I, think... I believe all work is good work. So thank you. Well, look, I, I think that's a, that's a great Great question. I think I should sort of break it down into two parts because the first part you asked was, um, yeah, you want to know a little bit more about uh, where the journalist is coming from because I think you have kind of a sneaking suspicion that that, uh, you know, that whether the journalist goes to church, how they feel about who they're going to vote for is going to affect what, what you're going to see on the page. And I would say that that's true if you're talking about an opinion writer, but it's not true if you're talking about someone who covers the news like me. I've spent years trying to make sure that what I feel politically about what's going on is not going to affect what I write. And I'd ask you to ask this question yourself, which is that you've gone to the emergency room. The doctor's about to treat you, and, and, and this could be a life or death situation. Does it matter so much whether that doctor went to church or who that doctor is going to vote for for president? What you're mainly concerned for is, is that doctor going to be able to start your heart again? Does this person professionally know what to do. Is this person not going to treat you because you voted for Donald Trump or because you voted for Joe Biden? Absolutely not. Because this person is a professional. And this is what we are trying to do in journalism is just try to create a professional information environment that's apart from politics. So you asked an even better question, which had to do with like when did the Times go out and cover communities um, that are conservative? Uh, when you know, when have they gone and seriously covered the pro-life movement? And I'd say actually, it's almost happening every day. We have we have some great people on staff that are dedicated just to covering rural America, to covering issues related to evangelicals in the church. We have uh, a writer named Elizabeth Diaz that's done amazing work on that really understands the evangelical community very well. Not only that is someone that a lot of evangelicals really trust to tell their stories to because she listens. Because there's not that many places that have got actually the resources to have reporters just dedicated to that. And so her job in terms of her curiosity has just been to talk to people in that community and understand what's going on. Because like I said earlier, I think one of the things you discover when you're a journalist is that Everybody is trying to do the right thing for the most part. So no matter who you're talking to, if you take them seriously and they trust you with their story, you're going to understand that point of view. And I think whether it is um, evangelicals in the United States who have uh, a, a real attachment to their faith and to their religion and are 
doing this because they want to do the right thing, or even the pro-life movement, which maybe personally many people at the times might not agree with, but I think they all understand that people are in the pro-life movement because they want to defend life, because they feel that they are trying to you know defend their convictions and what they believe is right. And I think there's a real understanding of the times. That's that's the dynamic there. Um, so so yeah, thanks for your question. We, we we try to cover this as much as as possible. And, and frankly, my interest as a journalist is often about people that I disagree with because I know those people are trying to do the right thing too. And I want to ask, how did someone else get to a different conclusion than me over the same issue? That's, that's why I got into this. Um, and and that's that's that. Those are like the fundamentals of my curiosity. So so thanks for that question. We're going to come right back. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. One eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. The phone lines are open. And uh, and Nicholas uh, Nicholas Casey is going to be with us for about another eight minutes. That's all the time we have left. So the time has flown by. But we'd love to have some more calls at seven two one twelve ninety or one eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. Back right after this. Dennis Bragg with your updated forecast in the Town Square Weather Center. A chance of showers again Thursday morning mixed with fog that could create some slight conditions. Then clearing off later in the day with a sunny afternoon and highs into the mid-40s. Fog could be a problem again Thursday night into Friday morning with lows in the mid-20s. But more sun in the afternoon continuing into Saturday with highs reaching in the mid and upper 40s. More rain showers likely Sunday, although even then there remains some partly sunny weather in the outlook. Hey, we're back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. Uh, joining us here in studio, Nicholas Casey, staff writer with the New York Times. Bob Seidenschwartz also here with us. Uh, but we also want to talk a little bit about the uh, the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. We do have another caller coming in as well. So go ahead. Uh, yeah, the, the festival is going on until the 25th. So um, there's still tickets available. A great, um, you know, these folks have done some amazing work in terms of the time, the effort, and what they're trying to portray out there. So if you've never been to the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, you owe it to yourself. It's part of the great cultural heritage that we have right here in Missoula. And Jacqueline's film last night was just, it was was awesome. Excellent. All right, let's get uh, get Jeff on the line. Jeff, good morning. You're on with our guest, Nicholas Casey. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Um, I guess I'm... Hearing a uh, hint of moral equivalency in a lot of the answers, and that journalism has to remain uh, uh, completely uh, neutral in conflicts, and that's a relatively new uh, concept because during World War II, um, journalists did take sides. They went with America, and they were unabashedly pro-American. And uh, recently, in recent times, uh, it seems like that has that sense of being an American reporting on the news has disappeared and that uh, the New York Times in particular, but not uniquely, sees themselves as world journalists and we can't take the side of America and things. We have to uh, have a a more broad and nuanced view of the world rather than uh, uh, portray anything American or take the American side of things, and I'd like to hear your comments on that perception. Okay, we have, we have about four minutes, so go ahead. Thanks, thanks for the call, Jeff. Yeah, well, Jeff, you're absolutely right. Um, the history of journalism in the past was definitely not one of trying to be objective. Uh, and if if you look kind of back, you know, before World War II, I would say, um, you see the papers that were run by Hearst. Uh, you saw the Pulitzer Papers, which were known for yellow journalism. And you saw an extremely corrupt system of America that basically uh, places like Tammany Hall 
other political institutions were able to co-opt these journalists very easily, bring them on their side. And what you got as a reader wasn't necessarily the truth, but someone's processed version of the truth uh, well before you as a reader could sit down and, and, and read it. There was a big shift that took place, though, in the 1960s and 70s, and this was towards uh, more independent journalism. Journalism was not going to act on the behavior, you know, on the interests of uh, any any political party, um, any movement, uh, even any country, which includes America itself. And what did that journalism bring us? It, it brought us uh, Watergate. It brought us a huge amount of investigative journalism that changed, like, the course of history in the U.S., and I know it's incredibly frustrating when you see that journalists are trying to be neutral in these conflicts. But I would ask you as a reader, do you want a journalist that is trying to shove a point of view down your throat, convince you of something that you know may not be true or, or, or may be true? Or do you want that journalist to present you the facts and allow you to make a decision as to whether what's going on is wrong or right? Again, this is the situation I bring up of like that the journalist is trying to behave like a judge reading the law as opposed to like a prosecutor who's trying to get a point of view. They're not twisting things that you're going to see. And in fact, they're trying to trust you to be able to make that decision by withholding their opinion. I know that can be a little bit frustrating, but it's an act of trust. We report, you decide, right? There, there's, there's one network. That's their motto. But anyway. The, the question, great question, response I would also add to the discussion, where's our responsibility in a, in a civil society as individuals, part of the community, to have and take the time to also learn about the different issues, to become better educated, to become more nuanced, mm-hmm. so that while the job you do is so important to us, it's not the end all mm-hmm. as well. You're just a part of a bigger picture here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you go from here? Uh, we have about a minute and a half left in our time together. Uh, like w- where yeah, I'm headed for, to? Yeah, not today. Yeah, well, I, okay. So We're going to go get some coffee after this. <laughs> That's what you want to know immediately. Uh, I'm going to be in Missoula for, um, until, uh, until Sunday. Okay. And then uh, I head uh, back home. Uh, I'm stationed now in Madrid. Um, and so I'll be, I'll be in, in Europe. Uh, for a bit. Uh, this year, I've been writing increasingly about the Middle East, um, so I'll probably be headed at some point uh, soon for another trip back to Israel. Uh, I was in Israel just uh, about a couple of weeks ago uh, working in the West Bank, so I'll be spending a lot of uh, this this year kind of out, out in the Middle East. In, you in must be very, very, very proud of Jack Lear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this uh, this documentary that she has, which is about, like, uh, migrants coming across the Mediterranean, it's just been such a labor of love. And we had such a great turnout last night uh, for the premiere. Uh, it was sold out house and uh, it was it was just excellent to be, to be able to watch and be able to share this this documentary with with people here in Missoula. And I'm just going to add some of the most powerful sequences during that presentation was the pictures mm. that were held up of the young men. Yes. Of the of the young men that made this journey that did not come back. These right. are people who who drowned in the Mediterranean, yeah. trying to get to the other side from right. North Africa. Yeah. Well, it's been a very great pleasure having you. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. much. And please safe travels. Okay. okay. Thank you so All much. Right. Of course. All right. You're, you're traveling a lot, so that's that's asking a lot. All right. It's a pleasure meeting you. All right. Thank you. And thanks for all your calls, everybody. By the way. Okay. We are going to shift gears, and we're going to be resurrecting, if you will, a program we had uh, several years ago uh, called the 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 Chamber of Commerce. Uh, the Missoula Chamber of Commerce Hour, and they're going to be with us uh, in uh, starting at 9 o'clock. Mark Loesch is, is coming.
come back to Missoula. He's the executive director of the Missoula Chamber of Commerce. He's going to be leading the charge, and we'll be talking about all sorts of issues revolving around the chamber and what's going on in Missoula. So, uh, again, thanks so much to Nicholas. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back after the top of the hour news. Stay with us. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome, welcome, everybody. It's hour number two of Talkback. Talkback this morning is brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get, Gomer says everything you need to make sure your rig starts every single time. Located at the corner of Palmer and West Broadway, that's Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service. Why West Storage? Out at the Y, Two Smokes Way. For pricing and availability, find if they have a, a, a unit for you, call 406 406- Five one zero zero five nine zero at Y West Storage. They're making room for you by Harrington Surgical Supply, where their mission remains the same: to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. And by Phillips Janitorial, offering both residential and commercial cleaning. No job is too big or too small for Phillips. Here's their number: four zero six two six zero six six one seven. The views and opinions expressed on Talkback are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Here we are. We have uh, the 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 the, the the chamber has returned to uh, to uh, to talk back, and it's good to welcome back Mark Loesch. Good to see you, sir. It's excited to be here. I'm glad to see that you are still here. I'm excited that we get to finally talk again after yeah. these few years. Yes, indeed. And and we had such a good time before. We had to we had to reel you back in here. <laughs> I always, you know, this is where I want to live. This is where I want to be, and this is where I want to work. And my goal, ever since I first was uh, became part of the chamber back in '16 and '17, was. Um, to be here and to stay here. And I worked for the past six to seven years to put myself in a position to understand what I needed to do and, and what I need to be to be a chamber executive. And I was blessed that the, uh, the board and the community felt the same and. I'm here. Well, I remember the the moment I got I got word first of all that the the, the previous director was retiring and uh, and that you were very interested in the job. I contacted you right away. You so. you, you called me that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and because I kind of had a, a feeling that uh, uh, you were yearning to come back to Missoula. I was. This is this is this is home for me and. Missoula community is home to me. And this is, uh, my wife and I joke, I'm not leaving Missoula unless I'm in an urn. Um, <laughs> we're, we're done moving. Um, this okay. is where I'm going to be. And the Missoula city itself and the county and the region has so much diversity and so much excitement and so much growth potential. Uh, how could you not want to be in a position to maybe have a, a little role in that and to, to get to be involved with that? So, um, but it's not me alone. I have an unbelievable staff. Right. Um, I have two unbelievable gentlemen here with me. I have Zach Brashear, my current board chair, John Brower, who is my incoming board chair. And I wanted them to be here today to talk about from the chamber's position, the transition before I got here. The floor is yours. So um, please introduce yourselves and let us know what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me on, Mark. And Peter, thanks for uh, hosting Uh I got to say, I'm having flashbacks to Grizz games just listening to you talk right now. <laughs> what close, a season. Just close your eyes. <laughs> yeah. What a season. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm Zach Bashore. I'm with Montana Forest Consultants. Um, but I have been the chair of the board for the Missoula Chamber since uh, July 1st of 2023. Um, 
you know, take it uh, as a sign of whatever whatever you will, but uh, that is when our previous director uh, announced her, formally announced her retirement was July first to twenty twenty three as well. Kim, so, Kim Luttrell, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, Kim had been there for fifty years, um, which at that point uh, that meant that. Uh, you know, we had to really look at our process. And what we realized was that our process for bringing in a new CEO was fairly outdated. Um, so it was a big lift just to, just to get to the point of interviewing folks. Uh, we spent the first few months as a board just coming up with the new process. Um, and then uh, we flew our job in September and, you know, we had our hire starting by January 1st. Um, you know that came that came down to sixty three applicants, um, three different interview cycles. I had no idea there were sixty three applicants. That's amazing. It was it was quite a it was quite a task. Um, and you know we had uh, we had enlisted help from Bob Marcinich with uh, Glacier HR to help us through that process as well. But you know it was all an in- internal thing done by uh, a selection committee created by the board with standing board members and uh it was uh it was a learning experience for me too as a young man i can tell you that <laughs> all right mr brower go ahead well thank you peter and it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here again and and especially with uh with these two gentlemen you know um you know as zach said it it's it's really uh, uh quite a process that we go through to uh, identify a person that can can take this uh, leadership role for this organization and 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 really you know move the organization forward and uh we're just thrilled to have to have mark uh um on board because more than anything uh he's so engaged uh, he's he really is out in the community already. Uh, has met with so many uh, community leaders and and business leaders as well, and and we're just thrilled to to be able to have him on board and and uh, and start a new chapter in this organization. Now, if you wouldn't mind, gentlemen, we're, we're almost up against a break. But I want you to think about this when, when we come. By the way, the phone lines are open. If you have a question or comment for our gentleman from the Chamber of Commerce, give us a call, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. I want to ask all of you, what is your definition of the Chamber of Commerce? Uh, because we think about, well, they, they represent the, the town. And so, well, but yeah, but that's just... The top of the, that's just the top layer of, of, of what you guys do. So if you wouldn't mind just thinking about that, talk amongst yourselves and we'll talk about it when we come back. 721-1290 is our number. We'll be right back after this. You want the best. Ms. Bragg with your updated forecast in the Town Square Weather Center. A chance of showers again Thursday morning mixed with fog that could create some slight conditions. Then clearing off later in the day with a sunny afternoon and highs into the mid-40s. Fog could be a problem again Thursday night into Friday morning with lows in the mid-20s. But more sun in the afternoon continuing into Saturday with highs reaching in the mid and upper 40s. More rain showers likely Sunday, although even then there remains some partly sunny weather in the outlook. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. It's the Chamber Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, the Missoula Chamber of Commerce uh, back. Uh, Mark Loesch joining us here in the studio this morning. And uh, along with, uh, we, we also we also have Zach Bashur and we have uh, John Brower all here with us. I asked all of you gentlemen a question. Just what does the Chamber of Commerce do? So we'll start with the chairman. Go ahead. <clears throat> we have a new focus coming okay. back. Right. And it's, we're calling it the ABCs. Advancing Business Through Community Collaboration. The old... 
fashion chamber where you became a member and you go to an event once a month is pretty much not in it's not relevant anymore. Who has time to do that? Who has time? And there's 11 right. networking events a month in this town. 11. Wow. So what are we doing on a daily basis to help your business grow, advance, or be educated that's not tied to an event? That's our focus. What are we doing to help you move and grow your business? What information can we gather that's in the community that you need to know because you're running your business 12 to 14 hours a day? What can we do to help protect you as a small business on things you may not see coming? So those are the focuses of what are we doing to help you? The events of the, the ice cream. Now, it's nice to have an event like the state of Missoula, which we're going to talk about later, that we're going to put seven organizations on the stage at one time. Or like on the 16th, we have the USS Fast Attack sub-Montana crew in town to meet the crew. But the other things we need to do are focused on helping business and helping community so that we have a place to live, work, and play that's safe. That's our goal. I remember during COVID uh, what a dynamic um, uh, a role that the chamber played in, first of all, trying to keep Missoula businesses open uh, by being, if you will, kind of a clearinghouse as to, okay, uh, I have to know what I can and can't do in my business now. I mean, do, do I have to give masks? Do I have, what, what do we have to do? And you guys were, were a, a clearinghouse for, I know Kim went through it with it together. And so it was, it was one of those things where without the chamber, I think a lot of businesses would have just thrown up their hands and said, we're just going to close down. And the funnest part is when you could reopen or considered to be a business that need to be open. Right. Remember the signs we had? I, we passed out a thousand signs of we are open and we took pictures with the members right. and posted on our website, say, here's who opened, here's not, here's what's going on. And it created an energy of we can get through this. So that was, that was an exciting time. But, uh, I'll let these go. They're, they're the, they're the leaders ahead. of the board. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, go ahead, Peter, John. the mission has always been one of advocacy. You know, we, we've tried uh, our best as a chamber to do that outreach and to make sure that businesses are aware that they do have an organization that can act as a liaison to resources in the community and and we can do the outreach that's necessary for those particularly small businesses to uh, help them you know be more successful and like mark said you know there are so many small businesses out there that are working 12 and 14 hours a day and they just don't have time you know to and they don't know what resources are available and that's what this chamber has always been about is is that advocacy role to reach out and make sure that they know somebody's there and in their court to help them be more successful how do you do that i mean obviously there's email there's there's texting there's all sorts of things but i'm sure that direct voice-to-voice communication is very important between you and your members it is and you know that's one of the things i alluded to you know to start the show as well as with mark's role and the way he is getting out into the community and going from business to business and and community leader to community leader has been really impressive Uh, and i think uh i think the community is starting to identify uh, with that, and and we're getting uh, more and more traction uh, in that area all the time. Okay, how about you, Zach? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little hard to follow behind both these <laughs> folks, but also, you know, the the a chamber a chamber to me, and our chamber specifically, um, has always been what should be a connector, and not just for the business community, but for the community as a whole. I mean, our our chamber is a representation of all of these different types of businesses throughout Missoula. And that's what makes Missoula so incredible is all the diverse organizations that we have throughout. And for us to be able to work together with all of those differing interests 
and uh, advocate for the community, the business community as a whole, knowing that we have all these different interests, it gives us so much pull. And so there's so much opportunity to, especially with Mark here, you know, Mark is going door to door, extending olive branches to all these other organizations. And just, it's just a matter of how can we help you? Because in the end, they'll help us. And in the end of that, it's, you know, we're going to have a better community. Well, there's an example of that. Um, Every year, we've always had the state of Missoula and we pick a topic, um, something to talk about. Um, I had an idea. We have seven major groups, organizations that's down city, county, um, university, MEP, midtown, downtown, destination. They're all doing a key work in this community. It's all components. It's all part of the wheel. What if we put all of them on stage at one time? All seven on the stage at one time. And what are you doing right now for the next six months? Cool. You got 10 minutes. What are you doing right now? <laughs> they all agreed. I've met with all the organizations mm-hmm. and they've welcomed the chamber collaborating. Remember the ABCs, Advancing Business Through Community Collaboration. That's right. our whole focus. And they've agreed on the 23rd of April at the UC Ballroom. Everything's on our website. You can get your tickets from 11 to 1. We're going to have State of Missoula. Missoula now with all seven organizations on the stage. All right. Now, will there be also representatives from city and county government or, or, or yeah, from the county, right? The mayor, university, MEP, right? Midtown, downtown, and destination. Fantastic. So that I don't think that's happened where everybody's in at one place at one time. Yeah. But if we can all begin to collaborate, we all have a role and. Maybe we can advance things a little faster by working together. And that's my focus. I, I would imagine that sometimes when somebody starts a business in, in a new town, if, especially if they're new to Missoula, right? They, they, they put, they, hi, they hang out their shingle, they get their business license, they, they, they sign the, the lease and all that. And for a while there, they may feel like the Lone Ranger, right? Because I, I does anybody know I'm here? Uh, and so what do I do? Yeah. We, with the radio stations, TV stations, newspaper, all, all the, you know, uh, the internet, folks will come to help them advertise, but that does not necessarily network them, right? Correct. They need to have a connector, as Zach said. Um, Zach experienced this. He came to my office in 2016, fresh out of college, and said, I have an idea for a business, and many others have. We have the ability to connect that person to five to seven key individuals that might work to help them grow their business. We have our networking events, BA, that we can introduce them to people. Missoula Young Professionals, that they can get involved in there. Redcoats, what an unbelievable organization that um, St. Patty's Day parades this weekend. We can still use more floats. Um, <laughs> and they run the Red Ripper, which on the 6th of March that you can get your teams lined up. I'm, I know I'm throwing plugs out there everywhere. <laughs> but we have so many different ways for them to connect and engage. And every time they take a step forward, we'll take one forward. But they have to want to engage. They have to want to catch. We can give them the tools, but they've got to want to engage. And with that, we're up against a commercial break, 721-1290. By the way, our phone lines are open. If you have a a comment or a question for the folks from the Chamber of Commerce, this is going to be a regular event, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, get uh, get used to these folks because you're going to be hearing a lot from them as uh, as the year progresses. We're going to go right back with more of Talkback, hopefully your phone calls, 721-1290, right after this. Prime rib, anyone? 
Okay, we're back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number of the Missoula Chamber of Commerce Hour. And uh, we're thrilled to have with us uh, the folks in the Missoula Chamber this morning. Uh, Mark Loesch, back in town. Good to have that executive director. Uh, also, uh, John Brower and Zach uh, 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 Bashur. Sorry, thank you. Sorry. I can't even read my own writing. Zach Bashur. But we do have Emmett waiting on the line right now. Emmett, good morning. You're on with our guests. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. I have a couple of questions. I've noticed over the years that it, I'm, I feel like Missoula's blowing away. We've lost a lot of the, our restaurants and services. We've lost Huhan Mongolian Grill. We've lost Jakers. Uh, we've lost the um, we've lost the Fuddruckers. We lost the place in the mall that I like, Red Robin. I'm grateful now we have a steakhouse in the mall, and we're going to get a a Mexican grill over at the mall, and I'm grateful for all those, but we've lost coffee shops. Why did those close? I kind of wondered why those closed, because we have twice as many people in Missoula as we used to have, and it feels like we have half the restaurants and services. If you could address that question. My second question really also is Puhod closed down, but I've said this before, we need an all-you-can-eat buffet like Granny's. Or country harvest used to be, where you could eat everything you want for one low price, like seven dollars, and eat until you're sick. Because I miss going to country harvest buffet and eating till I'm sick and can't eat one more bite. We need this again. So could you answer those two questions, please? I know I'm not making sense. I'm ill today. Emma, but, no, you're, you're right, th- those were good questions. Thanks, gentlemen. Go ahead, please. I, I can address the second one first. We still have the Asian all-you-can-eat buffet, correct? Over by fuel that's next um, to Pierce, China? yeah, yeah. Over by by next to Pierce Flooring, I think that's still there. China Buffet, China Buffet. Yes. I think that's still there. I think so. But I'm gonna let John tackle the restaurants. He was here <laughs> last three years, and I wasn't. Well, you know, look. One thing we know about the future of Missoula business is it's you know consistently changing, and some of those uh, businesses, uh, and I'm aware of a couple of those closures, um, you know, had uh, aging ownership. And quite frankly, Emmett, I think they were they were just, you know, tired. It, it was time to do something else. There's there's few things more labor intensive than, than running a, a food outlet. It, right? That's a so true. Right. I mean, a restaurant is a really, really difficult operation to not only run, but to make profitable. And so, yeah, we've, we've seen, uh, I think quite a bit of attrition there, but the, the good news is, uh, and, and I, if there's, if there is good news, um, it's, it, they're replaced by, you know, new and exciting new, uh, restaurants that, that, um, will, I think do very well. Uh, you know, the, I think the, the new Mexican restaurant in the, in the mall and, uh, the replacement of, of Denny's by the Liquid Planet folks and, um, you know, the, uh, and there is a, and will be a new, uh, owner at, uh, at Jaker's with a, a different uh, menu and a different, uh, look. So I, I think, you know, we have a reason to be excited about that as well. I, I can't address the all you can eat thing. I, I, I'm with you there. You know, I, I don't know why we can't do better, uh, with that. I, I, I was a big uh, fan of Golden Corral years ago. I don't know if anybody remembers that. I do remember that. Right. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Right. But anyway, thanks for the question, Emmett. One of the tough things about the restaurant world, and I owned restaurants from the time I was 16 until I was 27. We just experienced the last two and a half to three years, almost a doubling of cost of goods. Labor going up. Can't find labor. So many different things. And so many of these restaurants kept trying to get through it. 
But at some point, like you said, you just, I can't fight this anymore. You're finding a lot of newer restaurants are smaller. They have smaller seating areas, um, fewer seats that you have to make money on. And so a lot of these places that were closing were bigger establishments right. that's hard to fill up every day. So, and and those, those smaller uh, restaurants require fewer people. Fewer people. And it's, right. Yeah. So it's just yeah. it's the way the business model is slowly changing. So it, thanks, Emma, for calling. I appreciate it. All right. So, yeah, uh, there, there you go. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Folks from the Chamber of Commerce are joining us here in the studio this morning. We have Mark Loesch and uh, John Brower and Zach Bashur. Uh, okay, so uh, we have all sorts of events coming up that you guys want to talk about. So please go ahead. It's, uh, and I hope I get these in somewhat of a steady order. Um, <laughs> On March 6th, registration for teams opens for the Red Ripper Golf Tournament at the Country Club. It'll sell out quick. So if you're going to have a team, you need to get going. It's on our website. Um, a great event run by a Red Coats, which is a phenomenal organization. Volunteer organization, Chamber Volunteers. Um, they run this so well. The event's actually is going to be May 3rd. Um, March 6th, registration. The event's May 3rd. Um, Tuesday, March 12th, our next business after hours will be in J&K Customs. Um, come by. It's from 5 to 7. Um, Saturday, March 16th, there's two events going on. So the Redcoats help um, organize the St. Patty's Day Parade. They can still take more floats, folks. Um, and then that evening on the 16th, it's the only day the crew's going to be in town, St. Patty's Day, at the Doubletree in Missoula, meet the Sailor of the Year 2023, learn about the submarine's preparations to join the U.S. Navy fleet at Pearl Harbor. This is the um, USS Montana, Virginia-class fast attack submarine, um, and we're going to celebrate them. Please uh, go to the, the Chamber of Commerce missoulachamber.com and you can get your tickets there um tuesday march 19th young professionals networking event um that's going to be families first hosting the fourth floor of the library um tuesday april 23rd that's the state of missoula we talked about earlier um the state of missoula is merely a reflection but a narrative offering an exclusive opportunity to delve into the very pulse of our community everybody's going to get 10 minutes what are you working on now and i think people are going to see how much collaboration is already going on they're going to see how much they're working on they just don't get to hear it in one spot so those are the big events that are coming up um you can find all this at the uh, at the chamber's website so Try and be busy. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Come right back. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. We did have a request to repeat the, uh, the, the April date. And again, that's Tuesday, April 23rd. That's going to be the state of Missoula. That's going to be from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. And as Mark just said, at the University of Montana and the UC Ballroom. Now, is, is there a price to get in? There is a price to get in. Okay. Do we have that written down here? I don't have that down here. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll we'll get that for you. Yeah. It's all it's all on our website. It's on the website. Everything's there to register. Good to know. Okay, we're going to come right back. We have Tom waiting to visit with you, gentlemen. So you'll need your headphones on when we come back after this quick timeout. Chamber of Commerce hour rolling right along this morning. Uh, we have uh, we have representatives from the Missoula Chamber of Commerce, and we have uh, we have Mark, and we have John, and we have Zach, and hopefully we'll have you. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, adventure seekers. Hey, we're back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Let's get Tom's call on, uh, on uh, Tom's on the call on the line right now. Tom, good morning. You're on with our guests. What's your question, sir? Yeah, good morning. Uh, you know, uh, we all normally have a pretty positive view of the Chamber of Commerce. You know, when it's a really nice day, we say, hey, it's the Chamber of Commerce day. You know, so, uh, but I wonder, I wonder how your, um, 
you know, your relationship is with the city council of Missoula, and maybe I don't want you to get, get you in trouble with those guys, but uh, <laughs> how they're doing, you know, how they're doing on, uh, you know, like the, the homelessness problem, the uh, the tax problem, the and the, the business climate, whether they're, you know, pro-business or, you know, trying to help you guys out as much as you can to, uh, you know, get new businesses started with not as many regulations and maybe skipping over some of the, the red tape to, to help you guys out. And, uh, and maybe also you could uh, tell everybody about, you probably have a website to, uh, you know, look up things if I just want to find something for the members of the Chamber of Commerce anyway. So maybe uh, a little um, grade the, uh, the city council and the mayor of Missoula and, uh, and their relationship with the Chamber of Commerce. I'd uh, like not to introduce diplomat Mark Loesch. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Um, first of all, Tom, our website is MissoulaChamber.com. And you can find things there. Um, if you can't find it there, you can reach out and call us directly. Um, I've been here eight weeks. It's maybe eight weeks, seven weeks. I don't know. It's been a whirlwind. I have already met with the mayor. I've met with three other city officials. I've met with two county commissioners. I have been added to um, the committee that's going to be working over the next two years and all the code reforms that they're working on. So I'll be getting those updates. We just yesterday added a link to our website that's linking those things um, so you can see what's coming out for the public knowledge on the code reform and links you back to the city. So that's very important, especially for businesses. It right? is, yeah. There's it's there's a lot of things that are. I mean, just on the mixed use building requirements, there's in, a lot of change. So we're getting all that information out. Tom, I can tell you this: we are trying to create a very strong relationship with the city and with the county. Um, we need that, and we know that, and they want to have a relationship with us also. So it uh, it's only been a few a few few weeks, but we're getting there. And we can, you can watch the website for the links on what we're doing with the code reform. Um, and then we're also working with the county. Um, Zach can speak to this: the bridges. We have some serious bridge problems in the community. Four of them. Um, what are those four bridges, Zach? Do you remember? Uh, can't tell you the exact names of all of them. Uh, they Locations. are in the, the yeah, they're in the Sealy Swan area, actually. Uh, one, one, one's the Boy Scout Bridge. Yeah, one's the Boy Scout Bridge on the way to my favorite tree. I just, um, by, by the way, I just, I just came back from Sealy Lake for a couple of uh, days of snowmobiling up there. They are 10 feet of snow short yep. of what they should have gotten this year, and the whole community is suffering. Yes. And when you drive, when you drive by uh, on the highway there, on Highway 83, big sign, Boy Scout Bridge, bridge closed permanently. So that that's a huge blow. Huge blow. And you know, I think I think one thing that uh, as a cha- as a chamber that we're also wanting to put more emphasis on is you know we are the Missoula area chamber of commerce, and I think corners of Missoula County like Sealy Lake, Condon, they get they get lost. And uh, you know, this is also us trying to help and. And uh, extend those olive branches out into, you know, the more rural parts of our communities. And so, you know, outside of the Boy Scout Bridge, there's three other bridges. Uh, I know the Cold Creek Bridge in Condon, which we've been to and desperately need some help. And there's another bridge in Condon and another in Sealy. And don't forget the McClay Bridge. Yep, right. that's another. And then the last thing, Tom, you asked about the whole the city and the homeless situation. I was at the luncheon on Wednesday that um, Missoula Economic Partnership had put out with some statistics and information on homelessness. So I will be getting involved in that also. Um, so give me a little bit of time to get my feet running here, but we're charging. There was a, yesterday, there was an urban camping summit, if you will, held at the election center. And it's going to be the first of, could be up to five meetings trying to define terms 
uh, get you know everybody's thoughts together so we can have a cohesive uh, a plan to address urban camping, which is it, it has become a reality all over the state, really all over the nation. So. Anyway, let's uh, we we have another special guest waiting on the phone right now. Uh, this is Mike Schaff. Uh, Mike, good morning and welcome to the Chamber Hour. How are you, sir? Very good, very good. Thank you. I haven't been called special in quite a few years, <laughs> so I appreciate that. That's okay. Well, hey, retired captain, how's that? That that'll work. That'll work. The so, retired part is my emphasis. So I, I wanted I wanted Mike here today. Um, Bill Westett couldn't be here. I got a, a phone call and email saying, "Hey, we're going to bring uh, the crew of the USS Montana through Missoula. Will you guys help us out and throw a dinner?" Um, I said, "Well, tell me much more about this and what's going on." And they said, "Well, you only have five weeks, and uh, we want to have 120 people show up." So I said, "Okay, let's do that." So Mike and I have been working very close. But I don't know enough about this boat or the, the history of it or what's going on. And I wanted Mike to give us a couple minutes of what it's going to be like if you come to the dinner um, on the 16th of March at the Doubletree um, from 530 to 830. What are they going to see or what are they going to learn about? Um, this is uh, thanks for that very much. And I big plug for Mark, uh, for somebody who's only been on the ground a few days or a few weeks, as he said. Uh, he's done a remarkable job in, in uh, getting this whole thing started. Um, the USS Montana is a new uh, Virginia-class attack submarine. It's been in the process of under construction and then commissioning and then pre-trials and those things for the last, oh, shoot, four years. We did a, an event four years ago to welcome the new crew to Missoula. Uh, and now the crew is just about ready to uh, put to sea for the final time and head to their duty station, their full-time duty station in Pearl Harbor. And this is the last opportunity for us in the state to meet and greet the uh, crew before they depart. Um, the, uh, the event is an opportunity, like I said, to meet them, but also to, for Missoula to get a real good picture of what it is uh, that this vessel is going to be doing, uh, its mission. We've got a number of uh, videos that we'll be showing over the course of the uh, presentation, and then direct questions and answers from the crew themselves. Um, we've been, I guess it's important to remind folks that um, boats, uh, boats and ships are named after cities and states. Uh, the last USS and the first USS Montana was built in uh, 1914 and served in World War One. We have not had a vessel named after the state until the uh, Virginia-class fast attack submarine, the USS Montana, now. And it's been a fun process for those of us in the uh, committee to work in getting everything we can into that small container, although the uh, Virginia-class is a pretty good-sized submarine, uh, that represents the state of Montana. Uh, that includes, um, you know, all sorts of Native American uh, artifacts and paintings and, and uh, things to that extent that represent Montana. So the crew feels like they're, whether they've ever lived in Montana or, or been a part of it before, that they are now a citizens of, of Montana. And uh, as, as I said, I think my focus, I've done a couple of these or been involved in a couple of these prior to this, is for Missoula to understand this is a pretty big event and this is a pretty big deal to have a uh, uh, a vessel of this type and it is it's world class state of the art uh, leading edge 
those of us in the Navy get excited about this stuff. Um, so this is a great opportunity for you to come out, do some grip and grinning with uh, some sailors. They always love that. And uh, have a great time in learning about uh, what this great vessel means to the citizens of Montana. All right. By the way, tickets are $40 uh, for the event. And uh, where, where can we get those? Go ahead. At the website, MissoulaChamber.com, under events. It's all there, and we also are going to be pushing this out through our other organizations and our other partners. Well, Mike, thank you for your service. Thanks for sharing all this with us. We're looking forward to it. Okay. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate it. And, Mark, uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks for all your help. You all bet, right. buddy. Bye. We're, we're up against a break, 721-1290. When we come back, I, 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 I'll throw this out here, and you guys can chew on this during the break. And it's, a, it's an app question. And uh, the question is, how does the chamber help remote businesses? Do you know how many remote and home-based workers are actually in Missoula? Is that something that uh, can be codified? So we're going to come right back. Uh, we also have Jeff waiting on the line to visit with you gentlemen. We're coming right back after this. Change isn't... Hi, I'm Carson Cressley. Of all the resources in the world, kindness is the most precious. For more than 140 years, American Humane has been working to protect animals in disasters, on farms, on the silver screen, and in zoos and aquariums caring for the world's vanishing creatures. You can help, too, by making humane choices every day. Visit AmericanHumane.org for simple ways to build a more caring and compassionate world for all of us. Welcome back to Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number. Our guests in the studio, all from the Chamber of Commerce this morning, Mark Loesch. And we have John Brower and Zach Bashur. And uh, we have a, this this app question, and uh, I threw it out here, but we'll just go ahead and repeat it. How does the Chamber help remote businesses? Do you know how many remote and home-based workers are in Missoula? And I understand you already have some plans in store to help folks like that. Yes, thank you. Um, I can't give you a timeline of when this is going to happen. Okay. But the wheels are turning already to start this process. One of the greatest ways to help businesses grow, I don't care if you have a storefront or if you're working from home or if you're in an RV traveling across the United States and you never have a home port, but you can do everything online. So remote work is really growing fast. In fact, pre-COVID, 5% of the workforce is remote. Post-COVID, we're up to 31% of the workforce is remote. Giving people the opportunity to connect and engage is what our focus is. We can do that through our website. We can do it through our newsletters. We can do that through many different ways. Two things we're going to get started. Number one is roundtables. I want to start our roundtables that we were doing during the COVID period of time. So we had one with the construction and we had one with the trades. We had one with hospitality. We had one with the restaurant industries. I'm already reaching out to those people to get those going. So you're remote or not, if you're in that industry, it gives you a way to connect with those folks from your industry. So we're going to start our roundtables again. Number two. I want to have a tab added to our website that's going to say professional development. We have a great training room downstairs. Now, we're doing some work to upgrade that training room. It's going to take about a month or so to get that done, um, our conference room, uh, new technology. But we're going to have a training class twice a month that's free that you can zoom into or visit. We're going to record it. We're going to turn into videos so members can train members. So 11 o'clock at night, you have an HR question. You could type into this this catalog this tab and you could look up hr and you might get the one that says hiring your first person here's the three things you have to know something simple like that i'm still framing it up but the whole focus is to give everybody the opportunity to one to be able to teach and the other side to be able to learn members training members it's not going to be overnight but it's going to happen 
That is a great idea. Good idea. All right. Actually, especially with more and more people uh, coming in remotely, trying to trying to start their own businesses. And uh, all they have to do is be, become a member and boom, off, off they go. And then it doesn't matter if you're a store for or not. You can, you can come to all of our networking events, all the normal things we do. But these right. are some of the new things. And there's even more than that coming, but I can't speak of it now. All right. We have Jeff waiting to visit with you, gentlemen. Jeff, good morning. Thank you for your patience and holding. You're on. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning, gentlemen, and welcome back. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate it. My question centers around, you bet. Um, My question centers around the uh, recent uh, increase in property taxes in Missoula, actually all over Montana due to property value uh, increases. And as part of the explanation, uh, uh, we've heard a lot of talk about how um, big business, the mills and such, left Missoula, and they had paid the uh, brunt of property taxes in the past. And now the burden left by their, uh, by their absence has fallen on the shoulders of uh, regular taxpayers. So uh, what does it, does the chamber have any plans to address this by uh, encouraging uh, businesses, actually large businesses, because you'd need a whole host of small ones to make up uh, the revenue of a large business. But does the chamber have any plans to entice uh, large businesses to uh, come to the area. I know, for example, uh, Amazon, I believe, is building a warehouse out of Hawaii. I don't know how much property tax that will uh, yield, um, but are there any plans? Yes, you know, actually, you know, we have, and and I think this uh, relationship that we're going to uh, continue to build with uh, MEP, uh, will pay dividends uh, in this respect as well. But yes, um, when we do get uh, a notice and, and news of uh, new, especially larger businesses uh, coming to town, um, we routinely um, outreach to those folks and, and do our best to uh, try to uh, become a, li- a liaison to those uh, you know people and, and find out um, you know what their needs really are. Um, of course, the taxes are a really, really difficult thing uh, for uh, not only Missoula, but for the state of Montana. And, you know, one of the more encouraging things that we've seen recently is is the governor has uh, formed a task force uh, that will come out in August uh, with a, a recommendation as to how we can get some property tax relief built into, uh, you know, this system so that we can uh, attract uh, new businesses, but but you're absolutely right. I mean, you, one of our biggest obstacles uh, to uh, creation of new business and commerce in our community uh, continues to be our our taxes. Uh, and and you know, w- we don't know what that looks like for sure. But but rest assured, we are uh, very engaged with local government um, and. Of state government to try to help that situation. I will tell yeah. you that uh, right as we're speaking, uh, there's some uh, some county commissioners, uh, one from Missoula, I think one from Lewis and Clark County, uh, some others, meeting uh, to discuss this. Uh, and this is over and above the the, the property tax uh, task force, right? This this is uh, uh, basically they're meeting on their own to talk about this from a county-wide perspective. So anyway, so there's lots of discussion going on about that. So we're going to come right back. We'll take a quick break. Alan is waiting to talk with you, gentlemen. And uh, so we have uh, uh, a caller question that came in on my email, and I'll give this to you right now. We can chew on it during the break. Uh, do you have an official position on the Fort Missoula development that is being voted on by the county and by the city. So we're going to come right back and uh, get that after this quick timeout.
Hey, Les Schwab. Okay, we are back on Talkback. Okay, the, the the question was, do you have an official position on the Fort Missoula development that is being acted on? And the answer is? I'm going to have Zach handle this because this happened before I received okay. uh, or before I got here. Gotcha. So Zach's going to respond for this. Yeah, happy to. Um, you know, this started coming out, gosh, early summer of last year, I want to say, somewhere in there. Um, you know, in our board meetings as a board, we've we've decided that we're abstaining from taking a position until more information is uh is clearly given given to us around that and on top of that you know uh we we don't take a position until we poll our membership and we we get a feel for what our membership thinks about it and we know that we at the moment we have membership on both sides of it there's pros and cons to it and so at this point we're we're waiting until there's some more clear kind of uh meat to that before we take a position. Okay, let's get right back to the phones. Uh, we have two people waiting, Alan and Mike. Alan, you're up first. Good morning. You're on uh, with our chamber representatives. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I have kind of a, a question here. It's like, why is it that a person works all their life to pay for their property, pay off their home, and then you guys raise the taxes so high that they're on a fixed income, they can't afford to stay in their property, and you tax them right out of it. Well, I, I, I don't remember the last time the chamber was involved in raising taxes. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not. We're a nonprofit organization that's a business receptor. So it's the city and the county that that has to deal with that, and they're the ones that are controlling that. We're watching it. We want to be involved in what's happening and be at the table to understand why that's happening, but. We're not responsible for any taxes being raised. Well, we've been right in the middle of that, reporting both sides of, of, of that uh, since this all began. And uh, each side has legitimate complaints. I mean, the governor says uh, our, our cities and counties uh, spend too much. Uh, our cities and counties, uh, Missoula has very rarely found a, a levy they didn't want to pass. And we're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of levies over the last 15 years, which is adding to your property tax bill every single year. Well, we, we wanted, we wanted new schools, want softball, all, all these things. These were all, we voted to go ahead and put that on our taxes because we wanted that to be part of our community. And so now we have to pay for it. Well, unfortunately, the price of our of our homes has gone up, or the, the value of our homes has gone up, and so is the property taxes. So it all comes together. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Let's get Mike on the line. Mike, good morning. You're on Talkback. Hi. Oh, good morning. Um, I heard somebody touch on this issue. I heard safety. Um, I've been in Missoula since the late 70s. I'm 65 in a couple months here, and I've, I've purchased a house on the west side in the late 80s, and um I hear a couple of your regular people that come on. One is Austin Knutson, the Attorney General. Right. And he, he came on. I pushed back against it with him. I asked him that question. But it was something I had never heard in Missoula. He said he feared for his safety on campus when he went to law school here. And that has probably been some number of years ago. Feared for his family's safety. And uh, Zinke, he's come on and said he doesn't feel safe and can't go from the Mo Club to his hotel without being accosted. I think that's a misrepresentation, and if they're spreading that, that's kind of misguided. I, 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 I will be honest with you. I have not heard Ryan Zinke say that while he's been on our program. That was a fact. He said it. Go back. I'm not making this up. Okay. He said he didn't feel like he could be safe going from the Missoula, Missoula Club to his hotel. It's a fact. It's on. You guys got. You have recorded tapes. I'm not making that up. Okay. Because right. I, I think it's for a Navy SEAL and a tough guy to 
say something like that. I think it's a disservice. Ryan has said he likes Missoula. Uh, Austin Knutson, I don't think he likes Missoula. But anyway, I, I, I have a house painting business. So a couple, few years back, I just decided I can't come home and just sit on the couch. So I go ride my bike quite a bit up and down the river trail, and I finish going through downtown. And sometimes I meet buddies for music late at night at the Union Club, and I feel very safe, even though I had an, I had an encounter with uh, Todd Devaney, I'm, I live about a half block up from the Pov, and he was creeping around my property, stole a, a bike, which I found him riding, and he ended up being the machete man that was downtown that was going after people with the machete, if you remember, and uh, he got 30 years for two you know, counts of attempted homicide. But I think Missoula is quite safe, and I think for them to spread that kind of idea is is kind of... Un- unnecessary. All right. Thank you. Well, Mike, thanks for the call. I, I Again, I have no re- recollection of that. So, anyway. But, gentlemen, we have exactly two minutes left for you guys to wrap up and talk about the, the big things you want folks to remember about our visit today. Here's a key thing. A lot of things that we talked about as far as events or things to find about us, MissoulaChamberCommerce.com is our website. If you can't find the information there, you call me, 406 406- Five four four zero three four five. I'll help you. Zach Brashear, young man, our uh, current board chair, has a wonderful business. I want him to take a minute and talk about what he's doing in the forest. Go and for it. I'd like to have John close out with Windermere. Thank you, everybody. Go for it. Yep, yep. Quick, quickly. Thank you, Mark. Um, yeah, I mean, as much as I enjoy the business plug, you can catch everything that uh, we're doing at mtforests.com. Uh, that's like Montana Forests, mtforests.com. Um we work with private landowners and agencies uh, throughout the state to uh, help them make land management decisions and provide the technical expertise that they need. Um, plug on top of that, if you are a young person, if you are just somebody wanting to get into business, get into leadership in the community, give me a call. Give Mark a call. Give John a call. The chamber's here. 30 seconds for you, John. Thanks a lot, Peter. Look, you know, we're looking at this uh, new chairmanship or this new uh, CEO uh, as a really great opportunity, you know, not only for the Chamber of Commerce, uh, but for the community as a whole. Uh, we've got new leadership in uh, the mayor's seat. We've got new faces in the council. Uh, and we've got a brand new CEO at the Chamber of Commerce, and we're really looking forward to making this uh, work for everyone. Gentlemen, thank you. Look forward to our next visit next month. Yes, right. thank you very much. Cool. All right. Thanks, Peter. Thank Nick, you. what's coming up on uh, on the tomorrow's fabulous show, sir? Uh, from 8 to 9, we'll have uh, Attorney General Austin Knudsen. There we go. And then from <laughs> 9 to 10, we will have City Talk. All right. So lots lots to call in about tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you'll join us. Uh, and then, again, two great hours. And that's what we do here on uh, Talk Back. We give you an opportunity to talk to uh, uh, local leaders, state leaders, and uh, folks like uh, the good folks from the chamber. So have a wonderful day out there. We will see you tomorrow morning, bright and early at 6 o'clock with Ace Sourwine. Till then, have a great day.